This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, we had a good time this morning. We were doing a Sunday morning series about disciples, and it is Man, you, you just got to catch up on that, all right? We've got a, a Sunday morning series going on and a Wednesday night one, and we're strengthening ourselves for the end days. I mean, this guy, he loves he loved the Sunday morning series. He came back for night church. Look at that. All right. <laughs> and uh, But tonight, we're going to talk about this. The title is, Who Will You Believe? Who will you believe? Now, have you ever noticed that in your life, You've got a lot of voices, you've got a lot of different people, you've got a lot of situations, you've got a lot of things that are trying to speak into your life. Sometimes you've got good godly people, you've got the Word of God, you've got your pastor, you, you've got good influences. And sometimes, whether it be a negative person, or maybe it's just a bad situation, or maybe even the devil, the father of lies himself, speaking things into your life, the question is, who will you believe? You're going to believe the good report or the bad report? And and, I, and I'm telling you, man, the longer that you've been walking the, 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 the faith life, the longer that you've been uh, a Christian, you'll see that this is more and more true. We are presented with opportunities. We're presented with choices every single day. And I'm telling you, man, you've got to choose to listen to the voice of faith. You've got to choose to listen to the voice of God if you're going to beat this circumstance. Is there anybody in the house tonight that you're facing something right now, man? You're, you're facing a, a, a maybe a, a mountain or whatever it is. But let's just say that it's not all roses right now. That things could be, there's something that you need to beat in the name of Jesus for you to have the victory and walk in the promise. And I mean, I think that we're all there. We've all got something that we're fighting against because we're called to fight the good fight of faith. And so the question is this. In the battle, in the warfare, what are you or who will you believe? And so I want to I want to open us up in prayer here. Then we're going to get uh, get looking at a, a probably a familiar story to you here in the book of Numbers. But let's go ahead and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we are, we are grateful that we have Bibles that we can read in our language that, that they're on our laps. Lord, we we are blessed that we have your holy written word in our life, Lord, and we can read it and we can study it and we can grow by it. Lord, we're so thankful for that. And God, I pray tonight that as we study the word, as we look at this together, that you're going to speak to each person. You know what each one of us is facing. You know what each one of us is fighting against right now. And Lord, I pray tonight that faith will come from hearing the word of God to overcome any situation in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. All right. So let's look at a couple of different things tonight. We're going to look at what Fear sees, and then we're going to look at what faith sees. Because you know that we're called to live by faith, right? In fact, Hebrews eleven six tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We're also told that the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. And so, if you're a serious Christian, this faith thing isn't just something that you try every now and then. It's not just something like, yeah, I'm cool with faith. No, you live by faith. The just shall live by faith. You base your whole life 
upon faith in the word of God. It's everything to you. And so that's what we're talking about tonight. And so whatever it is that that's coming up against you, whatever the battle is, first of all, I want to show you what fear sees versus what faith sees. And then you got to you got to answer the question, who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe fear or am I going to believe faith? The choice is up to you. People make choices every day. There's a lot of good Christian people that choose to believe fear instead of faith. And they don't get the victory in their lives. And we're not, you know, we're not casting stones at them. But it's the fact of the matter is this. You have the choice. Are you going to believe what God's word says? Or are you going to believe what all your friends are telling you? You're going to believe what God's word says? You're going to believe what, what the news is telling you? You're going to believe what God's word says? You're going to believe what your situation is telling you? Because sometimes my situation says, oh no, I'm going to defeat you. But the word of God says that I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe that God's word said I'm more than a conqueror? Or am I going to believe that this sickness is greater than anything I've ever faced in my life? I am more than a conqueror. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so let's flip back here to the book of Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. And here's the story of when Moses sent 12 spies to take a look at the promised land. He sent 12 spies one guy from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to go take a look at the promised land and see what, you know, what it is. I mean, God said, I've given this land to you. This is for you. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is your promised land. This is your destiny. And so they get there. They've, they've been delivered from Egypt. They make their way over there uh, to, to, to Canaan land. And here they are. And they get a chance to, to go spy out the land and see what it is they're going to do. Now, if you're familiar with this story, you realize that not everybody agreed on what they saw. Maybe they agreed on what they saw, but they didn't agree on the possibilities. And so the first thing is this. What does fear see? Fear, in any situation, sees danger. Fear always sees the danger, and it always focuses on the danger. Well, I know that, I mean, I feel God told me to do this, but uh, I don't think I could, man. That's a risk. I don't know. If, I don't know if I could step out like that. Or I know the word says that I'm supposed to have this in my life, but I don't think I ever will. That's just that, 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 I don't know, man. Fear always it sees the danger. And listen to me, that's going to hold you back in your life if you can't ever overcome that. And so, yes, we're smart. Yes, we use wisdom. I'm not going to go jump off of a building and tell God to catch me. But at the same time, if God said, cross the Jordan River, that's your land, I'm crossing the Jordan, man. I don't care if it's flowing or not. I'm crossing the Jordan, and I'm going to get into that promised land because God told me to. And so Moses sends in 12 spies, two of the men, Joshua and Caleb. And we know that these are the faith men. And the other 10, they came back with a different report. But let's look at this here. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 23. It says this, when they came to the valley, <clears throat> excuse me, of Eskol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. Man, that sounds good. They also brought back samples. That's me and Josh. <laughs> we were there first. Okay, our last name is Samples, if you didn't catch that. I just realized, I've never seen that before. We're in the Bible, Josh. Hallelujah. Woo. That'll preach. Amen. Wow, I'm in the Bible. Uh, I, just, I need a minute. I, I, that's a revelation right there. Okay. So they brought back samples of the pomegranates. <laughs> 
and figs. They brought back the samples of the pomegranates and figs. And so, listen, they get there, and the fruit is so great, man. Can you imagine grapes this big? And you've been out there living, I mean, just suffering in the heat of Egypt. You've been scratching and, and, and being beat, and you barely survived. And then you get to this land, and it really is absolutely incredible. I mean, grapes that big. They brought back the pomegranates and the figs, and it was just, it was absolutely, it was it was beyond their wildest dreams. And we're so used to just going into the grocery store that we don't have a real appreciation for having fresh, amazing food right there before us. But this was just, I mean, right there for the taking. Ripe for the taking. But skip down here to verses 27 and 28. So here's the report of these ten guys uh, that, that, that are uh, opposite of Joshua and Caleb. Verse 27. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. So they lay the grapes out there, the pomegranates and the figs. They're like, it's, hey man, it's everything. But verse 28, but, uh-oh, they're going to get their butt in the way and ruin everything. So my dad always says, here it goes. But the people living there are powerful And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And so they're like, it is everything that we've ever wanted, man. It's, it is the promised land, but we'll never have it. There's giants there. There's the towns are large, fortified. There's people there to stop us. It's not going to happen for us. What? You've seen God bring you through the Red Sea? You've seen God deliver you from, you've seen the plagues, you've seen all of this stuff, and here you are, you've made it this close, and you say, it's awesome, too bad it'll never happen for me. And that's what a lot of Christians do in 2018. They see the promises of God, maybe you see it working in somebody else's life. You see somebody else getting promoted, you see somebody else getting healed, you see somebody else having an amazing family, and you see all this stuff, and you're like, man, that is, that is so awesome. Wish I could have that. Probably never happened for me, though. What? Why would you say that? That's what fear says. Fear sees the danger. Look here at verses 31 and 32. This is talking about those ten guys. But the other men who had explored the land with them disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. That's the problem. You're looking at how strong you are instead of how strong God is. Of course they're stronger than you, but it doesn't matter if they're stronger because God is not on their side. God's on your side. Anyway, so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. And so here they are. They spread this bad report amongst all the people of Israel. We're talking about millions of people that are just like, ah, Man, all of that for nothing. We made it through the slavery. We made it through the Red Sea. We made it through all these things. And here it is. The land will devour anybody that goes there. The, the people are huge. There's nobody. I mean, come on. And, and, and they're looking at all this. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And sometimes that's the spot that you're in. And you're saying, what am I going to do? Anybody been there? That's the problem. You're not trusting the Lord with all your heart and leaning not into your own understanding. You're trusting in you with all of your mind and you are leaning to your own understanding. 
and all your ways, you are acknowledging your problems and they are directing your paths. But it shouldn't be that way. It should be trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding and all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I don't want to direct my paths. Some people have control issues. I, man, I learned, I, I stink at, at directing my own path. I always do something stupid. I need to let the Lord direct my paths. I need to trust in him so I don't screw it up anymore. I am done with that stuff, man. And we, you've got to get to this. But fear, no matter what, even if God's laid out a beautiful promise to you, fear is always going to stop you when you look at the danger. I heard this story about David Livingston, the great missionary uh, to Africa in the 1800s. One time a group of men wrote a letter to him and said, hey, we want to come and help you out with the work you're doing. As soon as you get a good road cleared out to where you're at, let us know and we'll be there. He wrote them back and said, listen, I don't want men that will come and help only if there's a good paved road to where we're at. I want men that will come if there's no road at all. Stay. We don't need you. Like, Whoa. We need people like that that will say, you know what? God said to get there. There's not even a road, so we're just going to have to make one and get over there. But fear will say, we couldn't do that, man. There's nobody's ever done that before. No, nobody has ever beaten that. Nobody has ever done this before. And fear says, you can't do it. But faith says, so what? There's got to be a first time, right? Somebody's got to be the first. I mean, somebody had to land on the moon first. It might as well have been us. Somebody, somebody had to do this. Somebody, there's always got to be somebody that's going to be the first one to take that step. And fear will talk you out of it every single time and tell you that it's too dangerous. But faith will say, it is possible, for with God all things are possible. And so fear, number one, sees danger. The second thing that fear is going to see is always giant problems. Giant problems. Because fear magnifies the problem. So the problem may be something that's, I mean, I've seen people, they get a paper cut and they turn it into a terminal illness by the end of the day. It, oh my God, it's, 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 oh gosh, it looks infected. I think I have cancer. Oh jeez. Like, why? They talk themselves into bad things. They magnify the problems when they, it's really not that bad. It is a problem, but it's not that bad. It is possible to overcome this thing. But fear always, it just sees the worst case scenario. It always sees giant problems. Numbers 13, verse 33. And here's what these guys said. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. You don't even know what they thought. You didn't talk to any of them, first of all. So here you are assuming that they think that you're a grasshopper. But at the same time, the problem is, when you see yourself as a grasshopper, you will live like a grasshopper. You're not going to be an overcomer. You're not going to be some amazing stallion. You're not going to be some incredible conqueror. If you see yourself as a grasshopper, you will live like a grasshopper for the rest of your life. You'll be beneath everybody, just crawling through the grass, dirty and not being able to get anything done. You'll see, if that's how you see yourself, that's what you will be. Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And a lot of you, you think of yourself a bad way in your heart. And so you live that out. You live that out. You see yourself, you think of yourself as, yeah, I'm that guy that screwed it up way back then. I'm, yep, I know, hey, I know the Lord loves me, but I did do this. Yeah. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You, you just, you, you, you go right along with how you see yourself. 
And that's not how God sees you. God sees you as a forgiven son. God sees you as a forgiven daughter. God sees you as somebody that he wants to use. He sees you as somebody like Matthew that he wants to be his disciple. He sees somebody, hey, they are perfect, but I'm not looking for perfect. I'm just looking for someone that's willing and someone that's passionate to follow me. But a lot of times we're like, I, I know, man, I, I get it. The Lord loves me, but wow, I, I don't think he knows what's going on here, man. I've really just messed it up. I heard this story about a man that, and I, I've shared this story, and I looked it up to confirm the truth of it, and it, so I verified it. But there's this man, okay, that he was a very pessimistic man, very negative, always jumped to conclusions, always the worst case scenario, always negative. Does anybody know somebody that is just constant negative? I, I can't stand negative people. I have a very difficult time around negative people. It is difficult to be around a negative person, right? I mean, they're, they're awful. They're, I, we're not, again, we're not casting stones, but my gosh, man, it is, it's torture to be around somebody that's just always complaining, always seeing the negative. I, I mean, just get me out of it. I don't want to be around that. That is toxic to your faith. Do not surround yourself by negative people. They, they're toxic, man. They will tear you down. But anyway, so this guy, he was like that. And so he one night, he worked at a, at a rail yard. He gets locked in one of the refrigerated boxcars, right? I've shared this. A lot of you have heard it, but not everyone has. He gets locked in a refrigerated boxcar. And he he's like, oh, my gosh. He, he's beaten. He can't get out. He doesn't know what to do. So finally, he's like, yeah, this is it. I'm going to die. So he gets a scrap piece of paper that he finds. He writes out his final farewell to his family. You know, hey, I love you guys, man. Just, you know, kiss mama for me. Tell the babies I love them. And just so you know, man, I died a torturous death. And then, you know, and that's it. Sure enough, they show up the next day, open it up, and he's laying there dead. He died. And they read his letter like, wow, this is awful. But they go and check. The refrigeration unit was not even turned on. It was over 50 degrees in there. But he convinced himself through his mind that he was freezing to death. And sure enough, an autopsy confirmed that he died of uh, hypothermia. He froze to death, no doubt about it. But he froze to death in 50-some degrees. Because he convinced himself. He magnified the problems. And some of us, man, you are magnifying your problems instead of magnifying God. It's not going to turn out good. We get it, man. We are sympathetic. We are caring, merciful, compassionate people. We feel, I mean, I feel empathy for people's situations. But listen to me. Empathy is not going to heal you. Empathy is not going to fix your family. You know, sympathy is not going to get you past the mountain. You're going to have to fight the fight of faith just like everybody else. There's no way around it. You're going to have to take up arms and fight the fight of faith. You're going to have to get the sword of the Spirit out and learn how to use it, just like everybody else did. I mean, God will have some mercy sometimes, but you're going to get to this place where you, for yourself, are going to have to fight the fight of faith and not rely on everybody else to do your fighting for you. You've got to grow up and you've got to do it. All of us come to that place. When I was three and a half and I got healed of leukemia, I mean, hey, that was my parents' faith. I didn't know... I. I was three and a half. I was almost four. But I, I mean, I didn't have a lot of faith at that time. I believed in Jesus. I didn't know what was going on, though. But my parents' faith got me through that. No doubt about it. But now I'm 33. And when I get a boo-boo, I need to, I need to learn how to open the Bible for myself. 
When I, I mean, it's nice to ask other people to pray for you, but when you're 33, you need to start learning how to, you know, you need, you need to learn how to read the Bible for yourself. You need to learn how to pray for yourself sometimes. And no, nothing against coming up and getting prayer, nothing against asking your friends, but you better learn how to do some of this on your own, because sometimes in the midnight hour, all you can do is be by yourself and sing praises to God right there in the prison. Amen? So, fear is always going to magnify the problem and see broke, or excuse me, see giant problems. The third thing that fear sees is this. Number three for fear is broken dreams. Broken dreams. And there's, there's nothing worse than seeing somebody with broken dreams. I read Proverbs chapter 18 every morning to my children. We're kind of memorizing it. And there's this one verse in here that, that, that gets me. You can just mark it down. I didn't put it on the PowerPoint, but Proverbs 18 Verse 14, it says, the human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? Who can bear a crushed spirit? And some people, man, they've just let their spirit get crushed. Your spirit can endure a sick body, it says, but you can't endure. Who can endure a crushed spirit? And some of you, you've just let your dreams and your just get smashed to pieces. Who can bear that? You've got to get that together, man. And, and I'm telling you, it's, it's not too late, but you do need to do something about that. You do need to start fighting the fight of faith. Numbers 14 and verse 1. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1. And so these are people that have seen the, the mighty hand of God move. These are people that have seen God's power. But two guys said, we can do it. Ten guys said, we can't do it. It's never going to happen for us. And they spread an evil report amongst the entire community. Numbers 14, verse 1. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. These people, they cried all night long. They believed the bad report that was spread amongst them. Can you believe that? Here they are. God said, no, this is for you. I've got this for you. Two guys said, you can do this. But they chose to believe the bad report. And it broke their dreams so bad that they cried all night long. Can you imagine hearing a multitude of people just weeping all night because everything they thought that God promised to them, everything that they fought for, everything that they've always dreamed of. You tell a million people at at the same time, everything that you ever wanted, you can't have it. It's not going to happen for you. And they all weep all night long because they believed what fear was telling them. These people felt sorry for themselves. And listen, I hate to say it, but we've got to quit feeling sorry for ourselves all the time. There's a time and there's a place for sympathy and compassion. But man, I know some people that they just crave that. They love to get people to feel sorry for them. They love to just put their their business out there. They love to tell everybody their problems. And I mean... I don't get it. I don't, I don't want everybody to know my problems. I don't want everybody to know what I'm going through. I, I, you know, I'm going to take that to the Lord. And, and there's, a, there's, a place, there's a place for compassion. There's a place for getting the brothers and sisters to surround you in faith. But some people, they just live off of, uh, off of trying to get compassion, off of, off of other people's sympathy. And that is, that's not how a champion lives. That's not how a victor lives. That's not how a conqueror lives. And that's not how a disciple lives. So Matthew chapter 9, let's flip over there. We're going to come back here. So hold Matthew chapter 9. 
And you need to know this, that God isn't moved by your need. He's moved by your faith. Because if just having a need was all it took to get God to take action in your life, nobody would ever have any trouble ever. Because we've all got needs. We've all got issues. And if that's all it took and God just magically showed up and was like, I'll just, hey, oh, this guy's got trouble. Let me just take care of that right now. But that's not how it works. God isn't moved to action by your need. He's moved to action by your faith. People of faith get answers. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. I'm going to read this in the New King James. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. Story here. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. Why would he even ask that if he could just do it right? What did it matter if they believed? He's Jesus. Come on. He's got the power. Did Jesus need some self-affirmation because he wasn't cuddled as a child? He Maybe mommy never held him. No. He, didn't, he wasn't weak. He didn't need somebody to... to he... he Jesus did not need a moment of affirmation here. He needed to locate if they had faith in him. Because faith is how you get answers. Jesus has the power, but it takes faith to plug into the power to get some answers. We said it this morning. This building has electricity running to it. No doubt about it. I mean, you've got lights on and everything. But if you're here and you want to charge your phone, listen, you can't say, man, I brought my phone into this place. I sat in that church for two solid hours and not one thing happened. In fact, it was at 67%. Now it's at 65 when I left. Things got worse. There's no power in that place. There's power. You just got to plug into it. And some people, when it comes to the word of God, they're like, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't get it. Listen, the power is there nonstop. But some people just never plug into the power and they, they think that it doesn't work for them or they think that God's mad at them or, or they question things. But the power has been there the whole time. But you, you need to take responsibility for yourself and plug into it and quit waiting on everybody else to do it for you. Good preaching, Pastor Dave. Thank you very much. And so here's what happened. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? He asked them. They said to him, yes, Lord. Verse 29. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to my miraculous power, let it be to you. According to my amazing beard, let it happen. According. No, what did he say? According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus warned them saying, see that no one knows it. Well, why do you say that? Well, his time hadn't come yet for that. But listen to me. Listen to me. He said right here, according to your faith, let it be done unto you. And so Jesus would ask you the same question tonight. If you were standing right here and you came and said, Lord, this is what I need. Okay, do you believe that I can do this for you? Do you believe? Same thing. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. Why would he change? He didn't change. He didn't need to change because he's perfect. Perfect people don't need to change and he's the only one. So he's never needed to change. Or listen to me. If Jesus was standing here tonight and saying, come, hey, I'm going to I'm going to take prayer requests. And you came up and said, Lord, I'm dealing with this right here. He would say, do you believe that I could do this for you? 
And you'd have to answer, oh, Lord, I really don't know. I don't know. I, I, I want you to. It's good to have a desire for God to change your situation, but it's a whole other ball game when you step into the realm of faith and say, yes, Lord, I believe. And these men, they said, yeah, oh, yeah, we believe. And look what happened. Their eyes were open. They were healed. They were healed. Think of what could happen in our lives if we believed like that. Amen. And so this is the type of things that fear sees. It always sees the danger. Always. It always magnifies the problems and sees giant problems. And it always sees broken dreams. Let's see what faith sees. Who wants to hear about faith for the last few minutes here? I like to hear about faith. I like to hear about faith. So instead of seeing danger, faith sees Opportunity. Opportunity. So think about when David faced Goliath. Everybody else, they saw the danger. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy could squash this kid. He, they could, he could thump him into the next county. I mean, this is bad news. This is danger. But David, he was like, oh man, wait a minute. If I kill a giant, this is the best opportunity of my life. They tell you that everybody gets that one big shot. Here's my chance. This is my moment. If I take down a giant, this is the best opportunity of all time. And a lot of us, you've got a great opportunity for a huge testimony in your life, but you don't see it that way. You see it as, oh man, this could be the one to take me down. This could be it. But it could be the testimony that pushes you into the next phase of your life and causes, I mean, just causes God to be able to use you in all sorts of ways. This could be your big opportunity. How do you see your current situation? Do you see it as, oh, Here's the big one. The wave is finally going to listen to me. Sometimes if you know how to do the wave right, some people, they get out there. and I mean, the, the same wave that crashes somebody down and beats them into the sand is the same wave that somebody else rides into shore and gets out of the storm. Same wave. How do you see it? Do you see it as your opportunity or do you see it as the danger that's going to end your life? Numbers chapter 14, verses six through eight. And so. We've seen what the ten guys said. They said, oh yeah, no doubt about it. That's the promised land. That's the one God was talking about. But we'll never have it. And so Joshua and Caleb, they're like, come on. They get frustrated. Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 through 8. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing They said to all the people of Israel, they're tired of hearing these guys cry. They said to all these people, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. It's awesome. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. And so notice these guys get so frustrated, they tear their clothing. They're like, enough of this nonsense. They rip their shirts off. And they say, why is that? Because I'm telling you right now, people of fear really irritate people of faith. Not because they don't like them. They're just like, how can you not see this opportunity? We all went into the same place and saw the exact same stuff. How are you going to run away from the opportunity of a lifetime? 
That's frustrating. And I've seen a lot of people that have had, I mean, just absolute opportunities and they've just run away from it and chickened out and, 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 and caved because they were too afraid. That's frustrating when you see God has such potential on somebody's life. But they're, they're too, they're too fearful to ever step into it. It'll really, it'll really take somebody with faith off. But listen to me. How are you seeing your situation? Do you see it as nothing but complete danger? Or do you see the opportunity that's in this right now? There's not much glory in, in, in you know, in, in, in beating a little guy, but there's a big testimony when you beat a giant. Nobody cares, you know, if you're out on the playground punking fifth graders. Shouldn't be doing that anyway. But at the same time, when you go and face a giant and take him down, people want to listen to that story. People want to hear what you have to say if you've got some testimonies under your belt. But if you always run every time that it gets tough, you're never going to have a testimony. Sometimes people sit in church and, man, all these people telling these testimonies, I wish I had one. Well, you could, but you run every time you get the chance. Listen to me. You're running from all your opportunities for a testimony. And you've heard it said, there's no testimony without a test. There's going to there's gonna be some tests in this life. I've faced them, you've faced them, we've all faced them. But some people, they run from them instead of facing them down. And here we have a situation where a whole bunch of people are running from their opportunity to get into the promised land. And so faith, it sees opportunity. The second thing that faith sees instead of giant problems, faith sees giant victories. Faith sees giant victories. Numbers 14, verse 9. Look at this. We're talking about giant. Who wants to have some giant victories in your life? Well, you've got to be willing to fight them. You've got to be willing to fight them. Don't say that if you're not willing to actually fight for it. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of great things that the Lord wants for you to have in this life. There's a lot of awesome blessings that God has for you. But if every time that there's a little bit of opposition, you just fold and run, it's not going to happen. You were called to fight the good fight of faith. You were called to fight it. And, uh, and, and, and it's not a good fight if you lose. I don't care. I mean, I don't care if, if you just saw a 12 round fight. The guy that lost isn't going to come out and say, oh man, that was a really good fight. No, it stinks. He lost. A good fight is a fight that you win. Right? And so, fighting the fight of faith, it's called the good fight because you can absolutely win the good fight of faith. You can, if you'll stick in there. Too many people, they just give up before due season gets there. Numbers 14.9, here's the next thing they said. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. Do you realize that fear steps over into rebellion? If God, I mean, God told you, listen to me. I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I told you to do this. But if you're, I'm too afraid, I'm too afraid. Eventually, you'll disobey God. You'll do it. We're trying to give my daughter some medicine the other night. And she didn't want to take it because I'll admit, it tasted foul. I could smell it. It looked awful. And so, I didn't want to take that stuff. That looked like garbage. But anyway, she was supposed to take it. And so she said there, mm-mm, no, no. And at first, and she's like, I'm too, no, it's going to be bad. I'm too afraid. No, don't make me take it. And after, at first, you're like, come on. you." Got, but after a while, it was pure rebellion. 
She was being rebellious. Like, you take the medicine because, you know, you, you, we need you to get through. The, you, the doctor said, you're going to take the medicine. And she was just being flat out rebellious because of her fear. And it's funny, but a lot of you are doing that. God told you to do something. No, 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 no. I'm doing, uh-uh, no way. Uh-uh, uh-uh. And it was cute at first. It was funny at first. Now it's not cute. You're just flat out being a little rebel. A rebel without a cause. You're being rebellious and disobedient when God told you to do something. God told them, get in there and take that land. It's yours. I'm telling you to take it. And they're saying, no, uh-uh, not going to do it. Nope, mm-mm, can't make me. Uh-uh, not my dad. Mm-mm. And there's, you know, you can't do that. You've got to step up to the plate because after a while, your fear is going to cross over into rebellion and it's not cute anymore. And so they said, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't do it. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. What? I feel sorry for them. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. That's the attitude that faith has. Faith doesn't say, man, I feel sorry for us. Faith says, I feel sorry for those guys. God's on our side. They don't even have any protection for them. That's the attitude of faith. Faith sees the opportunity for a giant, giant victory. And you've heard the saying, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Man, it is sweet when you finally hit that giant in the head and he falls to the ground with a big old thud. That is, that's a nice sound, man. That is some sweet music to hear the giant finally fall to the ground. And the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And so I put it this way. Fear says, oh no, giants. Faith says, oh boy, giants. All right, yeah. We got giants on the menu tonight. Let's do this. That's what faith says. There's a difference. And there's a lot of people that don't fall into this category. But you've got to realize, sometimes if you're going to be that person of faith, it can be pretty lonely. Joshua and Caleb, they're outnumbered not only by the ten, but by the millions of others to there too. Everybody else said, no, we can't do it. Sometimes when you're going to walk in faith, you are going to be outnumbered. And it's going to be lonely. David was the only one that thought he could take that giant. Nobody else there thought he could. It was him versus Goliath, the Philistines, and all the doubt of his family, friends, and colleagues, and countrymen. Nobody else thought he could do it except for him. But that's okay. Because if you got you and you've got God, that's enough. That's enough to take down the giant. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, think about them. Nobody else saw them getting out of that fiery furnace. But they did. It was them versus everybody else. Daniel, nobody there. Oh my gosh, those things are gonna, those lions will maul him by the time he hits the floor. Nobody else thought he could do it, but guess what? He did. He was outnumbered. Sometimes the faith life can be a lonely place because most people don't dare to go there, but faith will stand alone, even in the battle, and your faith will win. Your faith will win if you'll stick with it. Even if it's just you and Jesus, that's fine. That's all you need. You don't need everybody else anyway. I mean, it's nice. Sure, we all want everybody else's support. Sure, we all want everybody to believe in us. But the fact of the matter is this. They're not always going to do that. It may just be you and Jesus, but that's fine. That is totally fine. When I had leukemia, I mean, people thought my parents were crazy. They thought, you know, you're in denial. You're in denial. You don't, you don't. I mean, I was at the hospital. I was getting treated. That's fine. But the, my ultimate victory, and I'm not just saying this, it didn't come from the doctors. It came from Jesus. 
It really did. And, I, and I'm fine with God uses the doctors and the medical route. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I don't care how God heals us. I just want healing. But at the same time, that, that wasn't doctors that did that because my blood was one night before 100% contaminated with leukemia. And within six hours, it was 100% pure and clean and, and, and had perfectly healthy blood. They said it would take months to have mature blood cells like that. It couldn't happen in a matter of hours. Jesus did it. And so every, people thought my parents were loony and crazy. That's fine. I'd rather be called crazy and still be alive than be called, you know, well, at least he's not in denial and be dead. You can drown in your denial. It's not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> but listen to me. Listen to me. Listen. Sometimes faith is a pretty lonely place to be, but you've got to stick with it. My sixth great-grandpa was a man named Eleazar Hathaway. He was born in 1739. How do I know this? Because I had, I had an uncle that had the time on his hands to go do uh, Ancestry.com. But anyway, but uh, his name was Eleazar Hathaway. And in my opinion, one of the great wars, i got military guys in here. They know a lot more than me. But I find the Revolutionary War to be absolutely just incredible. How we overcame the British, and who had an amazing military, and we just had a bunch of rednecks with small guns, <laughs> and you know, and I mean, we didn't have much going for us, but Eleazar, uh, he, he, he joined up, and he was part of the revolution, and listen to me, their chances of beating the British, nobody thought they could do it, everybody thought they were crazy that they could take them down, it was about like us, me gathering a bunch of you guys to form a football team and go take on, you know, take on some NFL team. I think we could do it, guys. I really think we could. Everyone be saying, no, you can't. No, you, no, there's no way you could do that. They were well undermatched. But old Grandpa Eliezer and the rest of the men, they, they believed they could. And guess what? I mean, it, it, it wasn't easy, but they did it. And thank God they did, because I'm glad that I'm an American citizen. I'm glad my ancestors, they came over there from Britain. And I, hey, I, I don't like that accent. I'm glad I'm not talking like this tonight. That, how, who wants to listen to that? Anyway, come on. I mean, they've got good tea and stuff. But that's about all they've got going for them over there. So listen to me. Faith sees the opportunity for giant victories. And the third thing that faith sees is this. Fulfilled dreams. Fear sees broken dreams. Faith sees fulfilled dreams. And so, what happened to all these guys? Well, God, He can't put up with fear forever. I mean, eventually He's going to have to move on and find somebody that's going to step up to the plate. And so He said, that's it. You all think I'm a liar? Because when you believe fear instead of God, you're basically you're calling God a liar. He said, yeah, I'm going to do this for you. I don't believe you will. You call me a liar? Right? What if you what if you told your kids, I promise you this Friday, I'm going to buy you some new school shoes. You have my word. I promise. And they say, I don't believe it. Nope. I doubt it. No way. I, there's no way that you're going to do that for me. No, I, I promise you have my word. I'm going to take you Friday after school and buy you some new shoes. I don't believe it. I mean, wouldn't after a while, wouldn't you think like this kids call me a liar? I just said I'd do it for you. I just said, I mean, I've got the money right here and, I, and, I, and it's my desire to do it. I, I, I believe it when I see it. Wow, that hurts a father. And when we treat God that way, his word says you are more than a conqueror. You 
are strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are able to do this. And you say, I, I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it. You're calling God a liar. Meditate on that for the week. Just meditate on that. Joshua 1.9. Because what happened here is this. God said, all you guys that, 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 that aren't going to do this, all of you that are too afraid to go in there, that's it. None of you, not one of you, is going to get to enter into the promised land. They were right there at the doorway. God said, nope, head on out. They got sent out to the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years until all of the fearful people had died off. And only the faith people were left. And of course, by this time, they had reproduced children who you know, had to be people of faith to some extent. But here we are. He said, not, not a one of these guys. I'm not going to let them in. I can't, I can't take it. They're not going to get in there. Only the faith people. And can you imagine however many millions of people that is dying over a 40 year? That is like hundreds of people by the day dying out there in the wilderness every day until they were all gone. That's a nasty situation, but it didn't have to be that way. So someone would say, see, it must not have been God's will for them to get in. It was God's will the whole time. But they didn't have the faith to do it. That was not God's first plan. His first plan was not 40 years in the wilderness. His first plan was leave Egypt, get over there to Canaan and get into the promised land and possess it. That was God's plan. And some of us in our life, well, it must not have been God's will for me to get into this because blah, blah, blah. It was God's will. You just weren't strong enough to fight the fight of faith and get in there. Doing better preaching than you are shouting tonight. It was God's will the whole time. But you just, you, you, you ran. When the enemy came, when the giant came, you took off running and didn't even fight. And now here you are out in the wilderness for 40 years, and you could have been in there that whole time eating grapes the size of your head. Listen to me. This could have been you. And it can. It's, I mean, it's not too late. Thank God. But I'm telling you, we've got to get some backbone. I, we need some Christians with a little fight in them. We need some strong Christians in this day and age. And so God finally brings about Joshua and Joshua is the one that gets to lead him in. Joshua 1, 9, one of my favorite verses. God's talking to Joshua. He says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now you got to realize Joshua was a fighter. Joshua was a fighter. He would, I mean, you read the rest of this book. He was out there plummaging villages and then conquering land. And it was God told him to do all of it. They get to drive all these wicked people out. So I don't feel bad for any of them. They were wicked people that sacrificed their babies and stuff. So I don't feel bad when Joshua raided their villages and knocked them out of the way and conquered it for Israel. But Joshua was, he was so much of a fighter. The angel of the Lord shows up one night and Joshua said, are you for me or are you against me? Tell me now. Whoa, <laughs> jeez, Joshua was a fighter. And God says, I am with you. You be strong. You be courageous. I don't need a sissy leading the people of Israel. I need someone that's going to be strong and courageous. And as we know, Joshua ended up getting the job done. Joshua 2, 9 through 11. So they, Joshua, they send in some spies yet again into the city of Jericho here. And they, this is where they're talking uh, I believe this is a Rahab, the prostitute, Joshua two verses nine through 11. And here's what she says to him. 
I know the Lord has given you this land, she told him. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. They've heard of these people. They've heard of this guy, Joshua, that goes through and nothing stops him. They said, we've all heard of you. We're living in terror up in here. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. Nobody has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Rahab believed in what these guys had backing them. And you need to believe as much as this old prostitute here did. I mean, I'm not being mean. I'm being serious. You should have as much faith as Rahab did when they said, I, oh, yeah, I, we've heard. We know that your God must be the real one. You need to have that much faith in your God. And so their reputation preceded them. Wouldn't it be nice if our reputation was like that? Oh, you don't mess with that guy. He'll pray, he'll pray you right out of here. He'll, 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 he'll forgive you. He'll, he'll love you anyway. Don't mess with him. He's not worth it. What if your reputation preceded you everywhere you went? And so the people in there, Rahab and her family, they're like, oh, we, we know, man. Hey, don't mess, whatever you want. Don't hurt us. And so now it was time for Joshua and the people of faith to get into that promised land and fulfill their destiny. Joshua 6, verse 20. Joshua 6, verse 20. And so, you know, God gives them a game plan. They march around the, they march around the, the walls of the city every day. And then here they are on the last day. And here's what God tells them. You march around seven times. And on that last time, you just shout. And so Joshua 6, verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed. And the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. Boom! Jericho has been captured and they take the rest of it from there. It's an incredible thing to read the book of Joshua. But listen to me. They got there and here they are again. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, so we're just going to shout at a wall. What if God told you you're called to go shout at the wall? Go. Go away. Go. Go. Go shout at the wall. I'm like, what? I don't... Why would... No, 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 I'm going to look stupid. No, I can't. Uh, no. And, and there's a lot of people, like, if it doesn't make sense to their mind, they won't do it. But faith isn't of the mind, it's of the heart. And your mind will talk you out of a lot of things. But these guys, I'm so glad these guys, they were like, hey, he said to shout, we're going to shout. And sure enough, they shouted and the walls came tumbling down. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Jericho. Chapter 14. Let me show you something else. Let me because we just that was what happened with Joshua. But what about this other guy, Caleb? What about Caleb? He wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, and he was 45 years old when he started. So here they are. Caleb's now 85. And so you'd think, well, he'd be like, well, I'm just glad to be here, young guys. I'm just glad. You young whippersnappers got us in here. I'll just, just give me a trailer on the side of town over there and I'll just drink some tea and eat some cookies and nibble on some, you know, some cookies and sip some tea and I'll just watch my game shows and die. <laughs> no, that, Joshua wasn't that type of an old guy. He was one of those crazy old guys. So it's like, woo, 85. And so here he is. Here's what he has to say because 
Joshua promised him, when we get in there, you can have the hill country. And what that, that was the mountain, the mountainous region. He said, Caleb, you can have the mountains, okay? We'll take this other part. Caleb, the mountains are yours when we eventually get in there. And so no one knew it was going to take 40 years. So here he is, 85 years old, and he gets there, and he didn't forget about the mountain promise. He still remembered that he was promised a mountain. And I'm telling you, if you promise me a mountain, I'm not going to settle for a cornfield. I want the mountain that I was promised. And so here's what here's what Caleb has to say in his old age. Chapter 14, verse 10. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I am 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. Whoa, yeah. 85, and he's still as strong as he was when he was 40. I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. Man, some old people are just incredible, man. Some, do you, you know any cool old people? Are you one of them? <laughs> All right. so, so he says, I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. Verse 12, so give me the hill country or give me the mountain that the Lord promised to me. Don't, don't try to rip me off. I waited 45 years for this. Give me the mountain and nobody gets hurt. You don't give me that mountain, somebody's going to pay for it. And he's like, I, hey, I'm 85, I can fight even better than I could back then. Let's do this right now. I mean, Caleb, that he had that warrior instinct in him. And a lot of us were like, well, we made it. Let's just accept whatever's left. We'll take the leftovers. Don't have that attitude. If you fought for 45 years for it, take the mountain. Don't settle for anything less. You fought for it. It's yours. God promised it. Take what he promised to you. And so here he is. So give me the hill country. Give me the mountain. The Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord's with me, I'll just drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. So like there's mountains and there's giants. If God's for me, what do I got to lose? I want to go up there and kill some giants. So we've got an 85 year old man climbing a mountain Fighting giants at 85 years old. It's incredible. I, man, I wish we had people with that attitude. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Did he get it? Well, next verse. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. So yes, Caleb got his mountain and he passed it on to his children and grandchildren, and Hebron belonged to them. He got his mountain. Why? Because he didn't believe that fearful report. He was outnumbered. It was lonely being the only two guys there that believed in it. But guess what? It paid off big time. And so I am challenging you. Maybe nobody else is standing in faith with you. Fine. It's their loss, not yours. Because you're going to get your mountain. You're going to get your promised land. You're going to get them grapes. You're going to get what God's promised to you if you don't give up. But who will you believe? You're going to believe fear or are you going to believe faith? It's up to you. Choice is yours. The power's there. It's up to you if you're going to plug into it. Amen? Let's go ahead and stop there for tonight. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org. 